So, Natalie, we're, we're detecting an accent here, and you've already admitted to coming coming from New Zealand, which is like on the other side of the world. Yeah, like literally on the other side of the world. What on earth has brought you to these fair shores? <laughs> yeah, um, so I've been over here a long time, actually. I, it scares me sometimes how long, and I still haven't lost my accent, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, yeah, I came over in 2004, I want to say, and... I was I was coming over to see the world, and at that time the pound used to be quite a good thing to earn. <laughs> Things have changed somewhat since then, yeah. um, but I had a student loan to pay off, and so um, sending back pounds paid it off a lot faster. Um, so yeah, that's that's the plan. I came over just originally. I think I was only going to come for a couple of years, and then I got distracted and stayed. <laughs> wow. wow! So would you get distracted by? work really um so when I first came over I um worked in the Channel Islands in Guernsey uh so I was still doing mixed practice at that point so I worked there for about two years and then I thought I should go and do some travel so I went backpacking around Europe for a while with a friend and then I went back to New Zealand for summer and went back to my old practice for a bit bit of work there and then I thought well I haven't finished with England yet haven't seen haven't seen really haven't seen England because I was in the Channel Islands um so yeah. came back and locumed and then I think I locumed for about three years um so that was nice I really enjoyed that I worked in a lot of different places saw a lot of different things gave up large animals completely <laughs> um yeah. because after after getting called out in the middle of the night in the rain I thought I don't want to do this anymore so yeah. You do your rites of passage, don't you? Three or four years yeah. of uh, carvings at two in the morning. Yeah. Uh, by tractor light. Yeah. Know? Yeah, this mm. one was um, in the middle of a rainstorm to a cow that when I got there and checked her out, hadn't started properly carving yet. <laughs> she managed to carve about four <laughs> hours later on her own. And I think that was the point where I just went, no, <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So no, locoming was really nice. I, I've... It's, it's quite annoying now when I talk to people and they say, oh, yeah, I'm from here. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I work there. <laughs> so, so I've definitely been around um, a lot of different places. So, yeah, it's good. It's really good. Uh, great. And then you went off to um, Edinburgh. Uh, well, not quite. Then I got a proper job. Then I got another proper ah. job. And then I went off to Edinburgh. Um, actually, that was on the third proper job. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when was that? In 2014, I think I decided it was time to to start to do a bit more structured study again. So I enrolled um, at Edinburgh um, with the uh, Masters in International Welfare, Ethics and Law. Um, and I was doing that whilst working full-time in practice. So um, evenings and weekends, well, evenings were often spent watching webinars and things. Um, and then the weekends were usually spent doing all the reading and the writing. Um, but yeah, I really, really started to, in, to enjoy. So what, what course was that? Like? Again. Law? Um, yeah, animal welfare, ethics, and law. Right. So animal welfare law, primarily. Okay, that's that's a little bit off the track from uh, veterinary surgeon, isn't it? Well, I don't know. I mean, we do have to uphold the law, okay. um, especially the animal welfare. We so, mm -hmm. yeah, I found mm -hmm. um, that part actually really interesting. It was just one of the, the sort of modules um, that was part of the program, but really interesting especially when you look um internationally at the variations um in right. animal welfare law between countries i think that's just just fascinating what uh, in some ways you know what we have in the uk we are i think i think the animals are lucky um compared mm -hmm. to other parts of the world where um just the standards um especially laboratory animals really opened my eyes about 
you know, we I don't think we have enough legislation, but we have some very mm -hmm. good legislation, especially compared to the states where, um, yeah, it's just even within state and between whether you're a mouse in a research lab that's signed up to certain standards or not. Um, and if you're unlucky enough to be a mouse in some of those circumstances, it was almost a bit of a free-for-all, really, about what they could do. Um, this is obviously a few years back, so I'm hoping things yeah. are improving. But, yeah, really surprising and really interesting. It's not limited to mice, though, is it, in, in no. some of the states? And it's no. uh, it's very much the case. I think some of the research that I, I wanted to do, the ideal would be to work with a certain species. Oh, hell, man, that's not a problem. It's a problem everywhere else in the world. Yeah. To bring that level of technology to work with that particular species, which we, we didn't do mm. in the end. Yeah, um, and that's it. The, the EU legislation um, yeah. is, is very good, um, definitely compared to other parts of the yeah. world. Um, and, I mean, it was in the news quite recently that, that Britain had signed back up to animals being sentient again, and there was a lot of celebration. But then you're also just like, we had before. <laughs> It's just there've been some law changes recently with uh, certain things happening. Um, no, no they, they, they went through a stage of no longer being sentient. I think didn't they? there was yeah. there's a, a ditheriness about their sentience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They lost their mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which you know, I think any of us that hang out with animals on a daily basis are fairly happy about their sentience, really. <laughs> I, th I think so, and, and we're happy for every animal. Every sorry, every animal with fur or feathers. To have feelings, aren't we? Unless it's a mice or rat in our um, in our hen coop, then then we can really just kill them as much as we want. And, uh, yeah, ideally cause some sort of pain. Although there, there are there are now moves, so glue traps are banned in this country now, um, and snap traps are, are getting some good footage. What, what, what on earth are the royal estates going to do then? How on earth are they going to be able to provide all these animals to shoot at if they if they stop yeah, doing we'll, all of this stuff? We'll just, yeah. we'll just get Andy out and shoot the buggers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely one of those things, isn't it? Death, death itself is not a welfare issue, but how how animals die is. Mm. And um, I think it, it's, it's one that actually comes up around the world, but definitely something that um, happens commonly to those of us from Australasia. Um, is, is the way some animals are classified as, as pets and then if they're classified as a, a pest um, they you know it's a bit of a not quite a free-for-all but definitely um, types of poison are still commonly used um, and it's this this really tricky sort of ethical balance between trying to do the best you can for especially native species where we're talking about mm. the pests are introduced species and and uh, you know potentially devastating um, some of the native wildlife but also recognising that these animals didn't ask to be introduced to these countries um, and have autonomy in their own right as well. So it, it is, it's not the easiest um, and definitely it's something that I keep an eye on in the New Zealand media um, and there's similar mm. debates going on in Australia and, and all around the world where you've got sort of parts of the world. Cats obviously crop up a lot into this because they're often one of these introduced pest species um, and they are exceedingly good hunters. So it, it is really tricky. Really tricky. Mm. Do you have a do you have a view on this? Because you you sort of you, you've you've brought into the the conversation the uh, the government sponsored or the New Zealand government sponsored mass poisoning um, that goes on um, with the poison specially made from the government chemical works 
which I think only makes that chemical, doesn't it? Uh, oh, it's 1080, I think, is still the one that's commonly being used. Yeah. Um, I don't... I, I I have very weird ethics because I think because of where I'm from. So I'm quite utilitarian, but also I have quite a strong conservation streak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's partly coming from a country where not only do we have mainly birds, but our birds don't fly very well. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, they're only found, a lot of these birds are only found in New Zealand and, and definitely um, pests have caused a significant issue. Yeah. But so I've also asked well, the- as people. Um, but to me, well, wasn't the kakapo almost driven to extinction by rats introduced from Cook's ships? Definitely, the brown, the brown rat has done an awful lot. And I mean, the kakapo is a really good example of a bird that's only found in New Zealand that doesn't fly very well. It's also not great at breeding, I understand, either. So it's, no, it's, it I takes its time. <laughs> little, well, yeah. some huge booming grounds, don't they? Yeah, yeah. They saw it on um, Last Chance to See. Uh, Douglas Adams' uh, book. Right. Uh, Douglas Adams and Mark Carwardine, I think, isn't it? Very yeah, good. yeah. And, and I mean, we have um, the Takahe as well in New Zealand that was thought to be mm. extinct for quite some time. And then I think they discovered them again in the 1960s. So, definitely to, to protect and re establish a lot of these populations, pest control is required. Um, my, my issue is more how they're doing it. Um, so, the, the poisons and things that they're doing aren't necessarily particularly humane and don't cause a terribly fast death. So there's definitely people out there researching more humane mm. forms of pest control. Um, and I think it's it's all about, you know, the speed and which um, we can we can kill, um, as awful as it sounds. But yes. I think I think that that is that is the issue that actually as long as we can um, minimize any suffering that goes on around um, some of these species, uh, these introduced pests there. So, so that was just that's just the best balance, really. Yeah, if we can, yeah, yeah kill them quickly Absolutely. and humanely. <laughs> well, I wonder whether the best thing to do would be to send Jacob Reese Moggs out to lecture to them for a while <laughs> and bore them to death. I, I just suspect he's not very good in the bush. Like I can't really picture him, you know, going <laughs> off the beaten track and 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 getting stuck in. <laughs> no, I think, I think you could be right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there's enough paved roads for him in New Zealand. <laughs> anyway, um. We, we don't get political, we don't like that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so do, you think, do you think it's generally improving then in, in New Zealand and Australia than that? Awareness of animal welfare and the, oh, the general we, attitude? Especially in New Zealand, we, we yeah. have very, very strong animal welfare laws. Um, they've definitely improved significantly just in the 20 years that I've been out of vet school as well. There's a charity um, that looks across the world at um, animal welfare legislation on a country level basis. I'm thinking they used to be the World Society for the Protection of Animals. And okay. I can't remember what they've changed to, but they had a name change. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was their website that I explored a few years back. But mm-hmm. yeah, where New Zealand um, and Australia slightly fall down is this issue around, and, and it's uh, cats, cats are a really good example of that because we have pet cats that are much loved and then we have feral cats that are not, not loved. <laughs> Sorry, um, you see... You say pit cats, but cat, cats yep. who live in pits, are they? Yeah, yeah, they're out mining. Yeah. Yep. What? <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I used to have a New Zealand girlfriend, like, ribbed all the time out of being able to say pen or pin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a few others that, that we won't use yeah. as examples on this. Um, <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you pass me a pin? So I pass it a little pin and she'd try and bite it. He's scratching the paper. Anyway, so <laughs> 
It's it's actually World Animal Protection. It's now known as that's it, which was the World (laughs) World Society for the Prevention of anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well done. Yeah, but no, their their websites um definitely it's really interesting to sort of dig into that and and just the variety and and obviously some countries don't have any any legislation at all that protects yeah. animals. Um, yeah, yeah. My understanding is there's definitely a trend. The more uh, the better the human rights are in place in the country, usually animal welfare follows along behind that. Yeah, absolutely. Now you said you said just then, Natalie, twenty years ago, vet school. Mm, yeah, this this is um yeah. Tell us about vet school. Uh, so it was in New Zealand. Um, mm-hmm. I went to New Zealand's premier vet school. We only have one. <laughs> I was going to say, that's Massey, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when did I start? 1997 um, through to 2000 and 2002, I graduated. So, so was, was that the local vet school? No, no. I had, to, I had to leave home. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, by that point, we were living in Auckland, um, so I left Auckland at, at 18, and uh, my parents put me on a train, and, <laughs> and I went down to Palmerston North, which I think is about six hours on the train, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, um, Palmerston North is, yeah, <laughs> we have lots of attractive places in New Zealand, and, and mm-hmm. Palmerston North isn't necessarily on the bucket list of places to visit, but it has, oh, it, it oh. has its perks. <laughs> it's very flat. Okay. It's nice river. The insular is very flat. I don't think any part of New Zealand is very flat. Yeah. We know it through watching Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and things. Yeah, none of them live there, don't they? They, they, they live there. <laughs> That's where Bilbo lives. Yeah, I've, yeah. Seen, I've seen that documentary. Yeah, it gets mm. um, hilly south of Palmerston North. So between Palmerston North and Wellington, it's a bit, bit hillier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. But, yeah, it's um, and yeah, I mean, it's fun. Vet school, I think, was a bit rowdy, um, <laughs> possibly more so than it is now. Um, but yeah, we had we had quite a lot of fun. Um, and because most people, I think there was one person in my class that actually grew up in Palmerston North, so the rest of us were all all imports as as such. So um, yeah, it, it kind of creates quite a nice atmosphere in that sense. And mm. yeah, I'm currently. I think it actually is this weekend. I'm missing our 20 year anniversary celebrations unfortunately with COVID and all the rest of it I couldn't quite get back <laughs> so 18 yeah. years old you're packed off on the train so yeah. when did that journey actually start gosh probably at about five or six years of age we'd gone on holiday um we'd gone camping um, and our cats didn't come camping with us so they'd gone into a boarding category and we went to pick them up and I um, said to my mum I want to run a cat house when I want to <laughs> so the cat house may not be the appropriate term. Yeah. Um, D- different connotations, I think. Aren't different connotations. <laughs> um, that was the point where she said, "Why don't you become a vet instead?" And I went, "Okay," <laughs> and never really changed my mind. Um, so yeah, I always wanted There's, to do you know, with animals. Vets or prostitutes always. Yeah. Yes. Well, I still, what I still do, slightly. Slightly think that, you know, maybe I should have just ran a cattery. And <laughs> I think the hours are better, aren't they? Yeah, I sometimes wonder. <laughs> I'm like, you know, maybe if she said, that's nice, dear. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, might have, I might have had quite a different career path. So at 18 then, rocking up to Massey was sort of almost, well, it, it, getting your results through and getting you know, an acceptance or must have almost been a, I've done it. Well, we're, we're a little bit different in New Zealand, or at least we were then. So mm-hmm. um, to get into to, to get into the first semester of vet school, um, you basically just had to have 
past your final year of high school. And so the, there was no entry requirements really for that first, first, um, first semester. Um, so actually that first semester was the one where you get into vet school. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we had sort of 250-odd, um, you know, doing that first semester and applying for vet school. And then there's um, 70 places. So, wow. so yeah, I, I potted off to, to vet school, but then had to work exceedingly hard for possibly the hardest. Of, well, actually, no, the thesis writing was quite hard too. But, yeah, at, you know, up until before then, that was the hardest I've ever worked was that that first, you know, six months to to really ensure that I got into vet school. So it's it's a six-month veterinary apprentice. Almost, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you do um you do sort of general science subjects and then I think I think we did two types of biology um and physics and the chemistry. And mm. then um you also do they could used to call it an aptitude test, which I vaguely remember being sort of like a multi-choice kind of problem solving IQ test. And those five things are what makes up your grade. So, you know, when, when you talk to students now and they talk about their interviews, I just look slightly confused because we didn't have anything like that. You, you basically had to turn up and get the grades and you had to have done, um, you basically had to have spent some time in a vet practice. So done at least a week as a, as a high school student, sort of seeing what things were like. But I'd, um, I'd had a job for the, my last year and a half of high school um, working in a vet clinic after school, doing the tea making and the cleaning, and yeah, <laughs> all of that so kind the, of the stuff. Real, the real work. The real work. Yeah, if I was, I was used to you know putting bloodstained drapes through the wash, and um, this was the time where, especially larger syringes, we would still clean them out and re-sterilize them for subcutaneous yeah. injections. Yeah, you know, I remember doing that when I was yeah. ten or eleven, working at a vet for a weekend and, and testing how sharp the needles were as well. You. You drag the needles across the, the, your thumbnail, and if they caught, they were blunt. You throw them away. The rest of them, you put in this huge, great drum and autoclave. See, we weren't quite that bad. We did, we did have some <laughs> use needles by that point, but yeah. Oh, you, you had a sharpening stone to sharpen the needles, did you? <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, you, you, you jest, but the um, the head vet did. Yeah. He had um, he had these beautiful needles and uh, and glass syringes, wonderful ground glass syringes. And they're now and they're in a display cabinet at the top of the stairs in his practice. They are, they are. Uh, but, but he would sharpen these uh, these needles before. Well, I think probably every weekend. I don't think he did more often than that. Uh, and some of them were were that long. The newer ones were you know an inch and a half long. And some of the ones he used for many years were about half a centimetre long. He used those for cats and rabbits. That's my favourite one, that one is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just hard to imagine, isn't it? But definitely at that time, you know, the largest syringes were still quite expensive. So mm. you definitely saved your five and ten mil syringes. And they'd only go in the bin when you really couldn't work out how much stuff you were drawing up. <laughs> so every week a few of them would get siphoned off. And, and, and you'd use something like Cinelox, which would gum it up, wouldn't it? So knew that you couldn't use that with anything else. Yeah, yeah, gosh, yeah. Yeah, the Sinulox ones. And and then occasionally some of them would obviously had an abscess drained. Oh, and, and I'd yeah. be like, what am I cleaning here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was it was it was fun though. And and yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I was I was really lucky because the, the practice was just um you know between mm-hmm. between my high school and where my parents lived. So it was easy, easy to commute. Um <laughs> so it was yeah. good. Cool. Yeah, the, the worrying thing is that around the 1960s, that was still happening with the human uh, side of things. 
there wasn't much the way of plastics were used back then either, was there? So no, they, they might have had they, glass or baker like ones, but they were all reused. And we'll get back to those one day soon. We will. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of not to, you know it's something we should consider, isn't it? Because mm. at the end of the day, if you can um, clean them out properly and re-sterilise them, is there a difference? Um, no. We definitely, you know, I've noticed this over the last 20 years, the amount of plastic we're throwing away day to day in our jobs is just exponential. I mean, you know, when I first started, at least everything was um, was cloth drapes and we were wrapping um, and, you know, going for a little autoclave all kind of packaged up with just a bit of tape holding it together. And, and now mm. everything's in bags. And yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> it might be better for the patients. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's, a, it's a difficult equation, really, isn't it? Because some of the stuff we do to reduce infection and with the rise of the superbug, there is always going to be that requirement on the yeah. flip side of it. The more plastic we use and throw away, the worse it is for the planet. And it's sort of this. We, we, we mentioned that the other day in a in a chat, wasn't it? It's the uh, <laughs> the consequences of our actions mm. and how well-meaning actions have sometimes got a an unrecognised consequence just around the corner. It, it's Newton's. Yeah. Now, which law is that? Third, third law, law, isn't it? Every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. It's his third law, isn't it? I think he ever intended it. I think it was his third. Yeah, I don't think he ever intended it for um, for environmental health and care. But uh, it's true. It's true. We 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 do all these things with you know. I'm putting quotes here. The best of intentions. It is indeed Newton's third law of motion. There we go. (laughs) Is Mike in charge of the Google? (laughs) Every every action has an equal and opposite reaction. reaction. Yeah, I know what we can do. What we could do, what we could do, is we could go to the internet and and look it all up. The only problem with the internet, of course, is that whilst we have the whole encyclopedia of human knowledge all encompassed on the internet, all we ever do is look at cat videos. We do, and why not? Why wouldn't you? Well, I don't. Because you, you like, do you cats, like cats? You? Do you like cats, Natalie? I do quite like cats. Yeah. yeah. What, got, what got you into cats then? Was it the internet? Uh, no, <laughs> no, because I'm really <laughs> old and the internet wasn't around. <laughs> no, I just had pet cats. <laughs> right. And my friends had cats, and the neighbours mm. had cats, and I stalked all of them. Should <laughs> you be saying that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm that's well known <laughs> my cat stalking tendencies are not something that that has ever been hidden <laughs> yeah I, I saw that i saw that netflix documentary don't fuck with cats i haven't watched that one yet actually my sister told me to watch it but i you have to watch it yeah i wasn't i wasn't to... sure i could cope <laughs> it's it's superb without spoiling things too much um a guy posted a pretty obscene um cat harm video on the internet Mm. and that upset a number of people surprise surprise who decided that they were going to track him down right and as we've discussed numerous times the harming of cats often carries on or the harming of animals carries on to harm to humans but it is true that there is this huge connection isn't there Natalie between them animal mm. abuse and human abuse and mm. we're all as vets asked to to be mindful of this yeah. when we see unexpected or unexplained injuries traumas and cats 
definitely it's it's um yeah you're right it's well documented and um the other thing that is also um is sort of associated with that is is people in abusive relationships struggle to leave because they it's often the, the children and the pets that are the things that are keeping them in the relationship so mm-hmm. um both the dogs trust and cats protection and RSPCA have all been involved in the UK and, and various schemes to sort of help in that sense provide a place for the animals to be short term um, mm. to enable enable people to get themselves out of situations safely. Do you ever get involved in that? Uh, I did when I worked at Cats Protection. So we did used to have um, some of the cats come through in our care. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the scheme. At that time, it was um, administered by Dogs Trust, but Cats Protection's now doing it on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we did have um, cats in our care um, sometimes for a couple of months while, while situations are being sorted out. Yeah. Um, we seldom got histories with them, but sometimes we did. And and definitely, um, at least one of the ones that I can remember in my care, it had two incidents where it had presented to the vet clinic with injuries, you know, had it been hit by a car, had it fallen out of a tree. Knowing the back history, you start to wonder if there's a third option, obviously, there mm. as well. So, yeah, it's um, it's definitely... It's a nice thing that, you know, those links are now really recognised and established mm. and that there's um, charitable groups really working to, to help support people in those situations because it's devastating for them. And having to leave your pet for a period of time, you know, it's it's really hard. Uh, often refuges are, are able to help and take in, take in people and the children, um, yeah. but you can understand why they can't always take the pets in as well. Yeah, and our, our thoughts go at the moment, of course, to the, uh, the Ukrainian uh, mm. war. Um, those, those poor people who lost everything their, their, their families yeah. their, their houses uh, and, and and their pets and you know I'm, I'm not tearing any of those but they're all as important to, to various yeah. of them as every other yeah. part yeah how long yeah. were you at cats protection uh, so I worked for cats protection for three and a half years mm-hmm. um so they at the head um head sort of site national cat centre they have a small clinic um, attached to the adoption centre there so I ran that with two nurses for three and a half years so it was nice actually it was sort of nice well it was about as nine to five as a vet job ever gets to be honest Um, and it was that kind of uh, I mean you don't have full autonomy over your cases obviously it's in um, collaboration not with the owner but with the um, the the managers of the cattery Um, but you know your, your decision making was around what was best for that cat with the resources you had available at the charity, um, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit different from private practice in the sense that your decision-making is what's best for the cat with what the owner's able to do, (laughs) and that's their their resources, um, their time, their money, their their commitment. Um, So, yeah, it was um, was a nice job, actually, and uh, I quite like a little bit of surgery. I'm I'm more of a medic than a surgeon, but um, because, you know, often in those circumstances it's, it's me, you know, I'm, I'm the person to give stuff a go. So it was, it was nice to be able to do that as well and do a bit more surgery. Um, did that, did that job follow on from Edinburgh then? Ah, no, no. Oh. So, um, gosh, so I locumed up to 2009 mm-hmm. um, and then I decided to get a proper job. So I went and worked for a hospital practice um, for about two years. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I did a mixture between um, the main hospital work and um, a branch work. And then the cats protection job came up while I was there. Um, so I applied for that. And while I'd been there, I'd um, done the Sydney University distance education course in feline medicine. So right. I was just finishing that up 
um, at the time the CP job got advertised. So I think that helped me get that job. Um, and then I was there for three and a half years. And then I was signing up to start Edinburgh about the time I left there. So I actually started the Edinburgh Masters when I was working at the RBC. So I went from Cats Protection to the RBC um, and they were establishing the shelter medicine program at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so I took on the feline shelter work that they had. So right. um, I worked in North London at a, um, an RSPCA branch. Um, so I was in there two to three days a week uh, with the students. Um, so we were sort of teaching them um, preventative health care, neutering, vaccinations, um, just examining a lot of cats. <laughs> um, and so they were doing that alongside us doing the, the work in the shelter there. Um, and then while I was there, we also picked up some work with Wood Green. So mm -hmm. I was usually two days at the RSPCA and um, mm -hmm. one day at Wood Green and then the rest so, of the so time at so the hospital. famous animal shelter, the Wood Green Animal Shelter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in Wood Green. We're growing in London, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, they're, um, they've been there a, a long time. A lot of these charities are just so interesting with their history and how they came about being established. So I think Wood Green did a lot of work during the war, actually, helping helping pets that had, you know, been abandoned. And I, I remember seeing photos. They had a little sort of push bike with a kind of basket on the top of it that they would use to transport animals. <laughs> this, this, this would be the second world war that you're referring to. Possibly the first, actually. Right. Okay. <laughs> probably the second, in the sense that there was more bombing of London in the. Summer. I was going to say, I was, yeah. I was talking to, uh, I was talking to some youngsters fairly recently, and um, I realised that the war didn't mean the same to them as it did to me. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they would. The war. Oh, you mean Iraq? Or the Falklands? Really? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's. It's almost as if the the 1940s have moved sort of two generations or three generations outside of the mm. general consciousness. Yeah. You know? yeah, I guess um, you know people of my age and older. I mean, I had a grandfather that fought in the war mm. from New Zealand, mm. so we're probably the last ones that have more of that. Not quite direct link, but yeah. I, I guess so. Although I must say, when people mention the war, I think is it the Punic Wars or the Boer War? <laughs> Don't mention the Boer War. Well, yeah, I always think of the land wars, the Maori Wars in New Zealand. So it's well, confusing. Yeah. Are, so. or, or, yeah. or the Punic Wars, uh, the Apagini and the Sapura Wana Ale when it as as uh, as I believe uh, the DNA at book four begins. Uh happy times. Um no, no, bad times, bad times. I've just been checking as I did that because I came off the task. Wood Green opened in 1924, so it was the second, okay. World. second World War. Yeah. Yeah, no, there was this is, a, this is quite good using Google. Yeah. We, have, we, we, haven't, yeah, we haven't done it, done it, haven't done it before, <laughs> usually because we've been so dyspractic that we, we're unable to do anything <laughs> other than stare at the screen and press the wrong button in case we stop recording by mistake or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, Natalie, didn't I see somewhere recently you've you obviously enjoy your shelter, shelter medicine, and mm. and the, the animal welfare aspect of that did i see that you've been traveling and doing work on new to clinics recently uh, yes yeah i still do try and keep a keep a pour in i guess um mm -hmm. so uh, recently um, i've been been there a number of times now but i did a, a tnr trip to portugal to a charity um that through various friends um i've kind of known of for a long time and then i've been doing bits and bobs with them probably for about eight years i think oh, right. um, and so 
I have some exceedingly, exceedingly wonderful vet nurse friends that organize everything. So I basically just get told when to turn up and get handed a plane ticket, which is great. Wow. Um, but no, we did did a week of neutering um, in Portugal. Um, and yeah, really, it was a very successful trip. It was, it was lovely. Um, although I'm too old for this, did get mentioned a couple of times on day two and three when my back went, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> I was in Greece for a month, 20 odd years ago, and uh, I was backbroken every day. You know, there's no, there's no rise and fall operating table. There's someone's kitchen wow. table. Yeah. We, we have good facilities, at least. We do have that. <laughs> um, so we've got a, it's a really nice setup that this, um, this mm. charity in Portugal has. Um, so, yeah, that's part of the reason why we, we like to go back regularly and, um, you know, nice association with the town and um, the municipal vet popped in to say hi. And, you know, it's it's, it's, it's this nice little, little sort of setup. You develop those that. contacts, yeah. don't you, and those relationships. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of one of those things that yeah, I really don't do much of it anymore, but I still still enjoy spaying a cat. <laughs> yeah. Is there, is there an opportunity there for any students to join you? or uh, Not um, not from the UK as such, but um, we did have a Portuguese vet student with us this time. So um, I was teaching her. Um, she, she was great, actually. She ended up doing most of the closes for me. So um, mm. we were able to sort of speed things up. I, I did the sort of spay and then she was um, doing the closure. Um, mm. So that was great. And then previous times that I've been there, we have had um, other, other vet students as well coming in. So um, she had been doing some EMS at the local practice in the town um, right. and heard that we were coming the following week. So um, came to join us, which was cool. great. Yeah. Just, just to ask the, the nitty-gritty question here, because I've heard it from both sides and I've got my own view. Mm-hmm. Do the nutrient programmes work? Um, if you're consistent. Um, mm-hmm. So you need you need quite a lot of things in place. So just turning up, spaying 10 cats and pottering off again um, isn't, isn't really going to do a lot. So you need to be neutering um, 70 to 80% of, of them and you need to be targeting the females. So um, this this group um, in Portugal are really experienced. They are exceedingly good trappers to the point where I'm like, oh, not another spay, for goodness sake, catch a boy. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they do a really good job. And mm. so um, it's interesting because there's been probably intensive work there, well, regular neutering programs. I think things mm. have fallen down a little bit with COVID in recent years, but um, at least an annual to, you know, biannual sort of um, campaign. Um, but still, you know, we still had 109 cats we did in the week. So, yeah, yeah there's, there's still a lot of them. Um, but they're really good at recognising the colonies, working out who lives in that colony. Um, they had the feeders on board for the whole situation. So we try and do a colony at a time. So we're not just doing five cats from here, 10 cats from there. We're mm. going in and neutering that colony and then moving on to the next one. But that, that was the problem I had when I went to, um, to, to Greece. 20 years ago, I was in Thessaloniki and I would do a week there and then go to one of the islands and then go to another part of the mainland and then back to Thessaloniki. And I, I thought, actually, I'm doing nothing here. I, I'm taking the crust off this adult yeah. population and it's soon going to be filled, you know, all too soon. Yeah. So I, I convinced myself that I was doing some good, but I think really my, 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 month would have been better in one area 
Did you say yeah, I think um, the way to think about it is at least you're doing some good to the individual animal. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah. Yes. You know, ones, the ones that you do neuter, especially the, the females, you know, you're enabling them to probably have a, a longer, healthier life because they're not, you know, even in this week I had a couple of quite funky uteruses. Um, so, you know, these cats really did benefit from, from mm-hmm. being spayed. Um, but, yeah, definitely to make a difference at a population level, you need this really dedicated and it's it's hard work i mean it's you know yeah. people yeah. people doing the 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 trapping um you know they're they're really if, if you don't have that right um mm. it doesn't matter how many that we're doing at the other end it's it needs to be it needs to be that population incredibly market. dedicated group of people isn't yeah. it? very Perhaps passionate so. very passionate yeah. quite yeah. humbling seeing uh, see the level of interest that goes into to care for for the wider community of animals mm-hmm. in countries that we perceive perhaps outwardly as as not being animal lovers. Definitely Portugal, you know, the people that mm-hmm. we deal with are massive, massive animal lovers. Um, they, as the, the village that we, we stay in, they love a small dog. There's a lot of small dogs. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, even within these, these cats and, and, you know, the vast majority of them are not handleable. They are, you know, Street cats verging on feral, um, so they tolerate people being in their vicinity, but don't want physical inter- interaction at all with you. Um, and you know they they still cared for the. <laughs> they are ridiculously fat. <laughs> like you're thinking when you're doing street cats, you shouldn't be saying some of these really. You're like, how on earth? But you know they are cared for sometimes a little mm. bit too much in that sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 fatter of course during the tourist season. Yes, although. Um, yeah, I think in this village it's just year round because it's um it, this this place is has does have tourists but less perhaps than some of the Greek islands especially. So mm-hmm. yeah, you definitely see that rise and fall um, during and of cat populations and in, in tourist areas especially. And I think COVID probably did have quite an impact on that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the worry was a lot of these cats weren't being neutered, but actually, if the tourists aren't there feeding them, they're probably not producing as many kittens. So. <laughs> yeah, swings right again. Yeah. Not the right thing for the wrong reason or the wrong yeah. A lot of people might not be familiar with ISFN. No. And that, and that is, of course, where you work. You're one of the ambassadors of yeah. ISFN. Did you want yes. to tell us about that? Sure. Yeah. So ISFN is interesting. Um, so it's the uh, International Society of Feline Medicine. Um, and we are part of a wider charity. So we're part of International Cat Care, um, which when we sort of describe who we are as a charity, essentially we're an educational charity about cats. Um, and then the ISFM side of it is the veterinary education side of things. So we run a veterinary membership society um, and offer hopefully everything the vet needs to know about cats if they're a member. Um, so we have regular webinars, um, a forum space where you can ask advice and questions from people far smarter than me. Um, and I sometimes attempt to help, but probably make things worse. Um, I doubt. I, doubt. <laughs> I, I try and give supportive. You're doing great. And now <laughs> Sam's going to say something really smart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have that. We've um, started uh, post-lockdown, um, given how familiar we've all become with Zoom. Um, we run a clinical club um, each month as well, which is, is really fun. We um, get some of our members presenting a case and just have a lot of um, general discussion. People can ask mm-hmm. questions. Um, so it's it's quite nice. We sort of choose a topic each month and and just have a quite a good chat really about it. So 
they're going well. Um, and then we have our fabulous journal, the Journal of Feline Medicine and Surgery. And, Absolutely. Um, Brilliant. And a must for everyone to read. A must for everyone that mm. needs to know about cats. And the exciting news, which I can kind of announce now because we're in that process, is we're actually converting it into an open access journal next year. So um, all vets all around the world will be able to access um, articles going forward, but also um, the back catalogue. Um, will also wow. become free to view as well. So, Fantastic. yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So it's, um, it's really exciting, and it's um, mm. you know, it's sort of something that we're we're making um some changes to ISFM membership because the journal, um, printed journal has historically been part of the benefits of being a member, um, but we're we're trying to do what we can globally to improve cat welfare and so making the journal open access is a really important step in that mm -hmm. um, and then for our members I, I had a lovely meeting this afternoon with your podcast producer because we're going to start doing our own podcast um, and part of that will be interviewing some of the authors um, for JFMS especially for the clinical reviews so wow. um, exciting things coming oh wow yeah. Yeah. your own ISFM podcast while I'm while I'm plugging <laughs> the oh. other thing that's now a massive um, benefit of being an ISFM member is um, See what we've started, Julian. I know. Everybody's doing it. It's a sales the sales. We always have to. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's going to be bald, old, and overweight. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. So, what what are the plans on that? I see if you can give yep. without giving too much away. Well, um, we're also making a big part of our membership benefit um, access to our congresses as well. So um, members have always had a discount to come in person to the Congress, um, but we're recording everything this year um, mm -hmm. and they'll be able to what, basically get a virtual ticket as part of their membership. So those that can't join us in person in Rhodes, as you're an ISFM member, you'll be able to catch up on everything from the recordings. Is there any stuff that the ISFM does for general public as well as, as supporting the veterinary industry? Yes, um, most of our main website is actually all um, health advice and information for members of the general public. So um, we find a lot of vets do re refer their owners to our website. Um, mm -hmm. Our most popular term, though, is I'm thinking about getting a cat. Um, so that's one of our pages that kind of pops up the most. And so within that, there's some um, really good general advice, um, things to consider about getting a cat. Um, and we've also worked with some of the other charities in the UK to create something called the Kitten Checklist, which is kind of um, a good thing to sort of work through, um, regardless of where you're going to get your cat, whether you're going to a shelter, to a breeder, or you're purchasing it through someone local that just has a litter of kittens. Um, it, it just gives you a really good run through of all of the sort of sensible questions you need to ask to just make sure you're getting a happy, healthy kitten, really. Are there any tips there on how to uh, kidnap one of the local cats? <laughs> Generally, we encourage uh, to avoid that. Um, oh, okay. So we do have advice about if you come across a stray cat, um, and this is not the neighbour's cat that you've been enticing into your house with food. We we definitely advise if the neighbour's cat comes a visiting, don't feed them. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you'll end up with another cat. Um, but yeah, there is um, advice about what to what to do when you've you've found a strange cat, um, which generally is take them to the vets and check to see if they're microchipped and try and find their owner. Um, and then if they don't have a microchip, um, paper collars are really a good idea. Um, pop a paper collar mm. on them with your details, and then probably the cat will go back to his owner and you'll get a phone call to say it's all fine. Great. Um, and you give practical advice as well for giving medication. 
changing. So yes. <laughs> cats are use inhalers. A lot of cats are, are yeah. asthmatic. Yeah, we've got the problems. training videos for those. Mm. Um, there's some some various videos about how to medicate as well. Um, and we've just been involved actually with a study that's been published um, working with um, the wonderful Sarah Caney, um, Danielle Gunmore, um, looking at all of the issues around giving medication. So that's been really helpful to, to just really get a broad sort of um, sense of, of what's going on, what are the problems that, that owners have with medicating their cats, which, I mean, we talked briefly about antibiotic resistance earlier, and, and you mm. know, that's a massive issue. We want to make sure if mm. we're prescribing things like antibiotics, they're finishing their course. So, yeah, yeah there's, um, there's so much so much on our website. Um, the only thing that we're really working on improving is making it a little bit more searchable. So um, in the health terms, um, you need to use things like the term cystitis rather than the cat is weighing on my bed. Um, so it's it's sometimes a little bit of direction from their vets about what the, the medical term is makes things a little bit easier to find. Right. Absolutely. And, and actually, as a timely reminder for me to say to, uh, to cat owners who, who aren't vets uh, or in the profession at all, please, please, please don't always expect the vet to give antibiotics. Trust us when we say... Yeah. No, I think on this occasion, Tiddles doesn't need antibiotics. We, if we lose those antibiotics, then, then we're not going to get them back. So we need to take yeah. care of them. And definitely there's so many conditions in cats that maybe in people antibiotics use is appropriate, but cystitis is a really, really good example of that. Bacterial cystitis in cats, exceedingly uncommon. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, yeah. there is reasons why we're not giving antibiotics for those ones because they're not going to do any good and it makes your cat more stressed out trying to give it tablets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the stress is probably what causes cystitis in the first place. It's often a trigger with um, the idiopathic cystitis cases, yes. So essentially then, ISFM are transitioning to a, a digital platform we are, yes. Yep. We've got a lot going on at the moment to get our digital platform ready by the end of the year. Wow. Um, yeah. So um, we've, we've already done the first step with our forum space and our um, libraries full of protocols and previous recordings from congresses and webinars. Um, basically, if you're interested in cats, become a member and you can pretty much do hundreds of hours of CPD on cats, which will keep the Royal College really happy for quite some time. Well, it will now. Glad oh. you've mentioned this. Mm. Mm. Yes. Mm. Ah, mm. Natalie, have, have you come across 60 Second CPD? I have. I was pre-warned about 60 Second CPD. <laughs> so I've written some notes. <laughs> Warned? Well, Warned. You mean, you mean uh, cherished? <clears throat> Advised? <laughs> Advised, warned. Warned? Okay, so Natalie Dagro, what are you going to give us a 60 Second CPD on? Well, 60-second CPD is going to be on welcoming a cat into the consult room. Right. Okay. Oh, so yeah. Here we go. Then let's let's set you up. Here's your, here's your clock. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> you don't so have on, to just yell when I'm done. On, on today's 60-second CPD challenge, Natalie Dowgrove from the ISFM on welcoming a cat into the consult room, starting now. Okay, step one, invite the owner and the cat to come into your consult room. And then, depending on the size of your room, you can either place the carrier on the examination table, um, on the floor, a chair if you've got one, or if you're lucky and have a little cat tree, then place them on there. Next thing you want to do is open the door to the carrier. And then you're going to ignore the cat. Don't look at the cat, ignore the cat. Just open the door, walk away. 
talk to the owner, gather your history, find out why they're there today, get a feel for what's going on with the cat. But while you're ignoring the cat, do with half an eye, just kind of keep an eye on them, see what they're doing. Don't stare at them, cats don't like being stared at, but watch what they're doing. If the cat's confident and comes out, then um, allow them to approach you. Greet them with a soft hand. So this is the example of a soft hand. Um, allow them to sniff and then incite further contact if they wish. If they don't want to come out, move the cat onto the examination table, have a large towel ready, take the lid off the carrier, drape the towel over half of it and allow the cat to come out if they wish to. Wow. So there's oh, the yeah. Perfect yep. time. I know, I didn't get my last sentence. My last oh, sentence yeah. was if the cat doesn't wish to come out and the carrier lid doesn't come off, that's a lot longer than 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very that's long true. CPD. That's a good five-minute one. But that's life. That's long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the only question I have there is how, if, for those uh, viewers who aren't viewing, in other words, the listeners, yeah. Um, how would you describe a soft hand? Well, I need to find exactly how we've described it. We're writing some guidelines at the moment, which include an actual description of a soft hand. But basically, I'm going to be demonstrating again and trying to talk through it. Hand out, fingers slightly curved, um, mm -hmm. thumb down generally. There we go. Where's my hand? There. Um, some people like to curl the top finger slightly, but just soft, basically. So relaxed hand, yeah. not pointy, not jabby. Just sort of curved slightly. So it's all it's, it's a sort of beckoning hand, isn't it? If you, if you, if you beckon yeah. someone, you do it with, with, with bent fingers. It is. It's a beckoning hand, but not waving. Rest, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So sort of like proffering a wet fish handshake. It is almost. That's a really good description of it. A wet fish handshake, yeah. <laughs> and then don't shove it under the cat's nose. Allow the cat to lean forward and sniff. <laughs> do, you, uh, do, you, do you do the long blink smile as a cat? Uh, I do sometimes do um, the smize. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if you do make contact, eye contact with the cat, then uh, slow blink and then look away. <laughs> and if you're blink. lucky, they'll give you a slow blink back. It's sort of like the cat version of what's up. Just another plug um, that mm -hmm. in November we will be publishing the updated uh, cat-friendly interaction guidelines. Um, and so they are replacing our um, handling guidelines, which are now 11 years old. So... Uh, look out for um, those coming out in November and there'll be far more detailed information about how to get a cat into the consult room, out of its basket, examine yeah. it. All of this whilst the cat is still very, very happy. That's brilliant. And I have to add to that that... Um, whilst we, pretending I, you're not, you're ignoring it completely. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah but don't so ignore the owner. Don't ignore it. Corner of your eye. Corner of your eye, but don't stare. <laughs> yeah. And don't ignore the owner because they're going to pay the bill. ISFM. Uh, are widely regarded as being the repository for information mm. of how to make your cat a cat-friendly practice, so much so that you can become uh, an ISFM-rated cat-friendly practice, oh. which we are in the process yeah. of, of so doing. Brilliant. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you guys, I was going to say you guys, and I hesitate, but I'll say you guys, are absolutely brilliant. Uh, the, the work that ISFM has done and the advice it's given to the, the, the other uh, organisations, the animal welfare organisations, the legislative organisations, has been second to none. And for that, I would produce a CPD certificate. However, I'm not, because it's just for your CPD lectures today. Here we go. Come on. What you got to This is Certificate of Feline Prowess. Oh, nice. And this certifies that a cat's the only cat 
that knows where it's at, to paraphrase the aristocrats. So what do we have? We have uh, my little old cat there, Jimmy, much loved and much missed. Uh, a pet cat, you see there. And then we have, you can just see, there's a cat in Crete. Almost similar looking cat, but I wonder who had the best life. Uh, there's this little cat. Uh, was quite thin and frail and had a sore tail. We, we got it some veterinary treatment when we were staying out in Greece. It's all you needed. And then you get at the bottom of the page this. And we know what this is, don't we? Mm. This is a, a savannah cat. Yes. And this is almost as big as a Labrador. It, it, it's a huge cat. Fortunately, it didn't mind me injecting it because if it did mind me injecting it, I may still be in hospital. And we're seeing a few of these. And I think um, I've um, produced some good advice. Yeah, and we're actually working um, with a, a charitable group at the moment. So probably by the time this goes live, um, we are going to be running a survey because we're just really interested to see how many vets are actually seeing in practice. So um, it's really interesting to know that you guys are starting to see some through your practice. Yeah, yeah, they're frightening animals. Mm. They, they really are. You, know, you get a thing with uh, 20, 20 blades on it and um, it's the size of an animal. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. You, you mentioned in your bio that you weren't just about cats. You also like food and beaches. So <laughs> here's some food and a beach. And this is uh, a seafood platter that I made for my lovely wife uh, last year for our anniversary. There's a beach <laughs> in, uh, in Greece. That yep. uh, altogether is a CPD certificate for your wonderful 60 second CPD. Julian, don't forget because we do have the opportunity here for our listeners to actually present a whole hour or more <laughs> of CPD. However, we do need a reflective question. Mm. So, have you got a question, Natalie, that you could ask our audience so that they could? Reflect on what we've talked about tonight and present an hour's CPD to the RCVS. Oh, okay. The thing that I think is always important to reflect on is what can you do better with the cats in your clinic? What small change can you make? Brilliant question. And yeah. if you yeah. want further information to help with that reflection, please do visit the Cat Friendly Clinic website. <laughs> I was just about to say, and if you want help with that reflection or want an answer to that, then I can think of no better place than the ISFM um, in order to help you with that. That is absolutely fantastic, Natalie. Thank you very much indeed. Wow. We, we like to talk about the Cat Friendly evolution. And, um, you know, definitely I've always considered myself quite a cat friendly vet, but I look back and I've evolved a lot over the last 10 years. So you can you can always be doing things different and better. And yeah, there's always something to learn. Perfect. Yeah. There is always, always something. Like, as, as vets, of course, uh, well, I guess in life, we learn new stuff almost every day. Hmm. Someone said to me once, you learn something new every day. But actually, you know, uh, last Tuesday, we've learned nothing. That's all new. <laughs> no. But uh, I think you didn't either, did you, Mike? No, not last Tuesday. No. Now, last Tuesday was rubbish. Rubbish, rubbish. But a few yeah. years back, I learned quite a lot from an elderly client of mine who brought two cats in, both of whom were suffering from uh, organophosphate poisoning. And uh, clearly, they'd come in contact with, uh, with some flea killers that weren't designed for cats. Uh, so I asked him what he'd used, and he said, I used, um, I used New Van Stakehill. Do you remember that? New Van Stakehill? 
big big yellow tube. You always buy it to kill wasps because that was about the only thing you could do with it. Um, not not the same as New Van Top, which was this most unfriendly cat uh, flea spray uh, that I think would frighten the fleas as much as it frightened cats. The fleas that was designed for topical use. New Van Staple was designed for the carpets, uh, and you couldn't use it on cats. And this this guy had read the uh, the back of the can and knew that you couldn't use it on cats. And yet his cats were suffering from organophosphate poisoning. So, yeah, how could this be? How how can you have read the back of the can, known that you can't use them on your cats, and yet clearly they're almost dead because you. They're, they're, they're suffering from the effects of it. You say, well, it's because I sprayed the inside of anhessian bag. I always like this use of, of, of the an there. Anhessian bag with the uh, with the substance. Put the cats in it and shook them around for five minutes. Wow. <laughs> he might so as well have added a brick, tied the lid of the hessian sack and dropped them in the canal. I know, I know, my God. What a... I don't know. Well, um, the cats both survived. I have to say, they, they were they were under an anaesthetic for a very long time uh, while we were waiting for the effects of the uh, poison to, to wear off. We, we swore at them. We, we, we washed them in, a, in in detergent several times, and uh, we suggested to the chap that he didn't ever treat them for fleas again, <laughs> other than with a flea coat. Uh, which he probably used to perforate, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, on but that it, it, happy it, note. It, it, I, I, the, the, the lesson for that was, um, I think, quite quite easy. It, when when writing foolproof instructions, never underestimate how foolish some people can be. And I think your directions with ISFM for making a, a, a cat-friendly practice are about as foolproof as you can get. So well done for your plain language. <laughs> it's all right. We're we're working actually to make them even more simple because um, uh, at the moment there's still probably some wording that falls down in translation because that's the other thing we have to remember. We are, you know, cat friendly mm. has become exceedingly international, and so a lot of our materials now get translated and. The term practice does not translate well, hence cat friendly clinic. Um, but it's still ah. slipped into some of our writing. So we're we're making a real effort as we um just make some changes as we go through the sort of digital transformation that that we make sure we, we're also using words that translate easily as well. Something yeah. will slip through, I'm sure. It always does. <laughs> I'm sure. But, uh, I'm sure. Uh, that's brilliant. So but anyway, on that happy note of surviving cats and uh, all the great work that ISFM is, is doing. I'm afraid it's time to bring it to a close. We're going to have to we're going to have to change our, uh, our sign out. I think, Julian. Um, oh yes, I think we will. Yeah. If you've enjoyed so, what you've heard, then don't forget to click like, share, and please subscribe because it really does help and it makes a difference. So, um, Natalie Dowgrate, ISFM, thank you very much indeed, and may your cat go cat. with you. Go with you. May your cat go with you. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Take care.